Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, welcome back. Hi, how are you? Doing good. How was your week away? It was good. Uh, lots of work stuff going on, but a nice trip. Awesome. Yeah. That's good. So, um, this is a, an episode that a couple of our listeners have been waiting for for quite a few weeks. Yeah, they, and yeah. <laughs> we I needed gonna, a little time to prep. Yes, we are going to be talking about critical race theory. Yeah. But before we do that, let's dive in with our sponsor for this episode. So our sponsor this week is actually going to be Burke's Tavern, located at 118 East 4th Street in Loveland, Colorado. Burke's Tavern has typically happy hour specials. specials. Um, they are a great little local bar. With all kinds of amazing bartenders down there. And if you want to just have a cocktail after work to unwind, head on down to Burke's Tavern, 118 East 4th Street. Yeah, it's a great little dive bar. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, I, I love the bartenders there. Um, <laughs> Tennessee actually makes his own apple pie um, shooters. Does it? I, I'm not sure if it's... I don't know if it's a whiskey. I think it's kind of a more of a moonshine, honestly. Um, but it's awesome. Actually, my colleagues are going to be getting um, bottles in their little local uh, Christmas gift baskets because I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna do my best not to do some big box shopping this year. Yeah. It works. Full support of small businesses. Absolutely. Mm. We can always do that. So, and speaking of small business and dealing with the election. Yeah. Uh, wow, so before we, before we dive into uh, CRT, um, just a little bit of a recap as far as the election goes is we have the unofficial numbers, the kind of the big drop after some recounting and that sort of stuff. And Ward 4 out of the city of Loveland. Don't yeah. ever think that your vote does not matter. Yeah, boy, because you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it is at one. One. Yeah, it looks like Joe Mallow <laughs> is up by one vote over uh, Caitlin Weirich. Yes. Yeah. So don't ever go into the poll thinking, ah, this doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter because you're wrong. Every single vote matters. And that's why it's important to get out there and actually vote when you are able to. Yeah, seriously. I mean, one vote. Boy, that that is a a very clear message <laughs> that your vote does count. Yes. I wonder whose vote it was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I was curious. Yeah. So, but then, uh, city of Loveland, they already swore in the rest of the new city council, as well as the mayor retook her oath. Um, so it'll be interesting because you have mayor Marsh and Don Overcash, where it was a, a, pretty intense overall campaign. It really was. And now for the next two years, they're going to be on council. And so we'll see what happens with that. So it's, (laughs) I know it's just the last couple of years has been very frustrating because they've kind of, everybody's kind of been in each other's throats, but we're going to see how this uh, dynamic changes And, and overcash was voted in as mayor pro tem. So, I mean, it's, we're setting ourselves up again. Bring your popcorn. Yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Bring your popcorn. Yeah, I know. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I just wonder how this is going to look for the next couple of years. Cause I think, you know, hopefully we're coming out of all of the crap from the last two years and maybe we can, we can kind of move forward and get some change. You're rather optimistic. I'm believing that we're becoming more and more divisive. I would concur uh-huh. wholeheartedly with that. Actually, that's been kind of a frustration and actually critical race theory, honestly, moving into that, it really is very obvious that there is a very clear drawn line. Yes. Yeah. So, well, without further ado, let's actually dive into this because this has been a, a story that we've been working on for about the last eight weeks now is diving into critical race theory. What is it? Why are people up in arms about it? What is the misinformation that's out there? And, you know, what 
What should you be thinking about with CRT coming into our schools here in Northern Colorado? Yeah. And is that officially coming in or is it just still kind of in talks? No, it's already officially coming in with the new curriculum. So first and foremost, with and part of the reason why it took so long to actually do this story is I've been working with three different school districts from teachers to administrators to school board members. Not a single one of the people that I talk to is willing to go on the record to talk about CRT. Right. People just sort of put their heads down and refuse to make eye contact. Some people, now I've had some very candid conversations off the record at all different levels. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why we kind of held back the story is some of the people that I was talking to were saying, hey, I'm more open to speaking about it after the election. Right. Well, we saw the election. We saw the turnout of that. And they're still not willing to go on the record. They aren't willing to speak, speak speak publicly on the platform like we have here, local right. podcast, and be able to actually discuss critical race theory, the ins and the outs, and yeah. not be worried for their job. Right, which is actually really frustrating because the thing is, is that if these are the people that are going to be teaching our kids this critical race theory and they don't even want to talk about it, then we, we have a big problem. We have a massive problem, and I think that that's – and I've been debating how to actually do this story because of that, because of how difficult it is to actually have our educators that are teaching our children at all different levels to actually come to the table and have a conversation about it. Right? Is it that they don't know what it is? Is it that they are worried if they're on – this is where it, it becomes a, a double-edged sword. It's a catch-22 situation where if you disagree with it, then you're called a racist. If you agree with it, then you're called too woke. Well, I feel like that's that's kind of what's been our culture lately in America anyway, is any issue that you agree with or disagree with, you're one side or the other. There is no middle ground. Correct. And so that's where I think a lot of them are not willing to to put anything on the record because they don't know... Who's going to cancel them? They don't know. Is it going to be the right that's going to cancel me? Is it going to be the left that's going to cancel me? So then they just silence the conversation. And that's the worst thing that can happen because we need to have these conversations. We need to dive in and figure out, okay, where is this coming from? Why is this being taught? And what is the reasoning behind it? Because through my research, I came into it with a prejudice and a thought process of I'm going to disagree with an awful lot of this. And I've changed my own mind on a lot of these things that say, okay, yeah, let's actually dive into it. Let's look a little bit deeper. Yes, some of this stuff should be taught in schools where I had an entirely different mindset when I first started looking at it. Right. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, too. I I, I really struggled to find some stuff that was unbiased. (laughs) Everything is biased. Even from Wikipedia, uh, Britannica, any of those, even their articles on it are biased. Well, and I think inherently that is sort of the nature of critical race theory anyway, is the bias is there and it's sort of a acknowledging that it's there and talking about it and then saying, okay, what do we do to be able to change this? But how do we also make sure that it doesn't essentially destroy the education system. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously awful, awful dramatic, but I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) weird. All right. Well, let's dive into it. Yeah. And first and foremost, what is CRT? What is critical race theory? So do you want me to start off with this one or do you want to 
Take it away. I do, actually. I want you to start off okay. with it because I feel like I still kind of have a lower level understanding of it. And I, I say that because as I've been looking through and reading a bunch of articles, it's like I I feel like, um, like you said, everything's totally biased. Yeah. So I mean, and 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 just for our listeners, for the record, um, you know, we're going to try to do this in a manner that is not racist. That is not. <laughs> I mean, because we, I will fully acknowledge that I'm from a middle class white family, and I grew up in middle class white America. So some of these things I'm not always going to understand, and I know that that's the case with you as well. And yeah. I, I just, I just want to put that out there. With, we're going to do our best. So this is an opening of a conversation. Yeah, and exactly. I don't, I don't want it to seem like we're trying to. Well, throughout all of this, if there's items that you think that we're wrong on or that we missed, or you have some better sources for us, I encourage you to reach out. Oh yeah. Let us know. The easiest way to do that is through our, our email, which is the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. Again, the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. But let's dive into it. So CRT or critical race theory. So it really began in higher education back in about uh, 1989 is when it really started taking hold as far as a curriculum. And so in 1989, it's been taught in higher education, secondary education for decades now. Yeah, specifically in law schools, too. It sounds like um, there are classes in law schools that essentially say that um, racial bias is embedded in our nations and our laws and our institutions. And so at lawyers, of course, who are going to be defending individuals who are minorities coming into the justice system, um, inherently it is skewed against them. Yeah, and the whole base premise of it is it's an intellectual and social movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, uh, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Uh, critical race theory holds that racism is inherent in our laws and legal institutions of the United States insofar as they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. Critical race theorists are generally dedicated to applying their understanding of institutional or structural nature of racism to the concrete, if distant, goal of eliminating all race-based and other unjust hierarchies. So let's go back to a little bit of the history. Yeah. So, cause this has actually been around a lot longer. Um, but in the 1960s and 70s, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't put out as critical race theory. It was actually put out as critical legal studies or also known CLS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of that comes from and where you get a lot of pushback immediately is because CLS itself was an offshoot of Marxist oriented critical theory. So this is where you have people that have done five minutes of Googling mm-hmm. immediately think that CRT is just a straight offshoot off of Marxist indoctrination. Right. Tell me more about that, though, please, <laughs> because that part was a little confusing to me. I was like, well, OK, I, I mean, I can see the correlation very quickly, um, but why wh- why would we put that into any sort of education then. So and it dives back into, again, the difference between critical theory, critical legal studies, and then critical race theory. Okay. 
So critical race theory, what that does and what why they've looked into it from the legal standpoint, and I think that it should be taught in higher education, secondary education, especially in law schools, is because it does take a look at the laws that are on the books. How do they affect each race proportionally or disproportionately? So Correct. how do we affect things? And this is something just bringing it to what I do. I'm a mortgage broker is my day job. And Humda, so if you've ever filled out a mortgage application, they're going to ask you, um, you know, what is your race? What is your sex? Country of origin, some of that stuff. They're going to ask you that documentation. The reason for that is because we did have in lending what was used to be called redlining. Mm-hmm. So redlining was where they would, banks would literally draw a line around certain subdivisions that they would not lend. And those ended up being predominantly minority subdivisions. Correct. Yeah. It was, or even, even neighborhoods that they wouldn't lend in because they knew that they were, yeah. And so where a lot of this stuff comes from and why they ask you to fill out that documentation is if they're seeing a pattern if they're seeing a pattern from a mortgage broker or a, a retail company or a bank that they are predominantly only lending to whites or they're only lending to this one group. Right. And they can go in and there are laws in place that, that find them and correct that behavior. The problem is, is that when you go to apply this mm-hmm. for a mortgage, for anything really, and if you have a minority sounding name yep. and then you have to fill out that information what's happening is you're already put in a position that you're going okay i'm not going to get this loan they're already going to discriminate me just based yeah. off of who i am so that's not the case but i can definitely see where that thought process comes from well i think because it was obviously something historically that's happened it has i mean it, this was just like when we were talking about the small small business loans during covid that were helping small businesses stay open be able to pay for the extra things you know hand sanitizer gloves all of those precautions and really helping mitigate that loss of income to them we saw pretty quickly that minorities and a lot of small businesses are owned by minorities. They were not applying because they did not believe that they would get it. Yeah. And this is just, I used to hire, um, and I, I don't really do that anymore in my current job as a nurse, but back in my retail days, I used to hire people um, and would just pull it and look at their qualifications. I never really noticed their names, but we were taught very quickly, do not mark on those applications because if you do and somebody goes back and reviews those applications saying that they weren't hired because they had um, an African-American sounding or a minority sounding name, any mark on there could be construed as you were like, nope, I don't want this one because of that. So we would write on our own notebooks and I would take my notebook that I had written my notes on and I would shred it. Right after doing an interview. So, I mean, historically, we have done that. And I, I, I say we, of course, as a country, but lenders and all kinds of schools, I mean, all over the place, everybody's everybody's done it for a long time. Well, I think what's interesting, too, about the critical race theory is that it essentially says that racism is a part of everyday life and minorities and, of course, whites, um, we contribute to it without even realizing it. Yes, and that's where... That's where a lot of people are frustrated with how it's being implemented into schools. Correct. So with critical race theory, um, looking at an awful lot of the stuff that they want to talk about, I, I, 
I encourage it. I want it to happen because it is more <laughs> the biggest subject that they are wanting to change is U.S. history. Correct. And I don't have an issue with that because we should be teaching our students about the Tulsa massacre. Yeah, let's clarify that be, really quick. They don't want to change history. They want to change the, um, the curriculum. curriculum in U.S. history. Correct. Yeah. So we're, it's basically, and for many, many years, U.S. history was very whitewashed. Yeah. And that's something that they want to get away from and they want to start promoting. And you look at some of the stories out of the Civil War. You look at stories out of World War One, World War Two, where African Americans fought and died for our nation and then had the thought process of coming home and going, I'm now a second class citizen. I read a really interesting article um, this morning about a um, uh, African American um, group of troops, like a, a unit yep. that was they weren't allowed to serve. It was all very still very segregated. But during World War Two, they would go into these small towns and they would patron businesses, and they were apparently very polite and everything. But the army found out about it and sent white a white unit to go and police them and take them out of the bars and restaurants that they were patronizing because they weren't allowed to be in there. They shouldn't be They're They're black. So they can't be in that place. And apparently it became a pretty big fight. 17 people were shot and killed by their own troops. And they were over there risking their lives to fight for America and the rest of the planet. And I mean that, that, that I never knew that I had never even read that and was just appalled. You know, yeah, and this goes to Juneteenth. Yeah, you know, (laughs) the sad part about Juneteenth is it wasn't until about three years ago that people started looking into it and fully understanding what Juneteenth was. And tell me what it was. Yeah, so Juneteenth that was the celebration of when the Emancipation Proclamation actually reached all of the the troops. So and that took place in 1865 where the Emancipation Proclamation was actually decreed back in 1862. Yeah. So it's 3 years after the fact. And so that's one of the reasons why we celebrate it and we we Talk about moving past one aspect of our history that truly was a a very dark mark on America, which is slavery. I would concur. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that there were a lot of things in school that we did not necessarily learn the whole truth about. Oh, absolutely. Booker T. Washington. Yeah, I can genuinely say I don't know anything about Booker T. Washington. Trail of Tears. We were talking about that. How much, how much did you actually hear about with the Trail of Tears? Right. I mean, I think it was, you know, we knew that they had been given, you know, smallpox blankets and all of these horrible things and forced to march to their quote unquote land, right? Because, okay, well, you want the land, we're going to march you to it. And, and hundreds and hundreds of people died. Yeah. And this is something that's hitting very local with the changing of school names. Yeah. We're at that point in time, as far as Loveland Hyde and their mascot, uh, they're no longer the Indians. Correct. You know, when we went there, we were the Loveland High Indians. I know. It feels weird to say the... Red Wolves. And I think Bill Reed is the Wolf Pack now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And But even now there is a, a full... <laughs> um, there's a full lawsuit against Jared Polis, Governor Polis, and his administration uh, saying that by not allowing us to use Indians or warriors or anything of this sort, that we're actually diminishing 
the history of Native Americans, and now this policy is racist. And so it's looking at it from so many different angles, and it seems to always just be coming back to if I don't agree with you. I'm not going to have the conversation. I'm just going to cut you off and say that you're racist, you're whatever. 100%. And I think that's really, that's an interesting shift too, because essentially what we're saying is like, okay, but you're whitewashing it. Why would we do that? And it, it takes away from that, that strength of the Native American warrior. You know what I mean? That was the whole point. That was why that was chosen as their mascot. I mean, I think it was in the sixties or something that, um, Loveland High actually had a Native American chief from a local tribe that came and blessed the school. And like, I'm sure you remember seeing that headdress in that, in that trophy oh, yeah. case. Yep. So cool. Like, why would we take that away? We want to, we need to know about that. You know? And it's a different, it's a different way of thinking, but diving further into, you know, we kind of discussed what is critical race theory. And so that kind of is the basis, base premise of what CRT is. Yeah. Now that base premise compared to how they want to put it into curriculum is two very different things. And this is where there's an awful lot of people that are very, very frustrated with what is being planned. Right. In the, the coastal cities are already starting to see this pop up in, from K through 12 curriculum is critical race theory. And the problem is, is that it's being pushed in such a manner that all white people are bad, all minorities are good, and look at your oppressors. Right. And the whole concept too, obviously the issue with that is that it's demoralizing to the white students who didn't have anything to do with that history that just happened to live in a time when we needed to start learning about it. Correct. And so that's, and the other side of it is this is going to, again, systemic racism. We've heard systemic racism for the last year and a half. Most people are not willing to have the conversation about what is it. And when they're looking at it, they reference redlining, as we talked about just before, but they don't want to talk about like affirmative action. Affirmative action is incredibly racist. It is one of the most racist books or racist laws that are still on the books today because you're flat out telling minorities that your, your purpose is you don't qualify to get into the school or you don't qualify to get into this job, but you're going to be here anyways because you serve a quota and you've been disenfranchised your entire life. So we understand that you aren't up to snuff and we're going to allow this to happen anyways. Yeah. You weren't smart enough to get in, but your skin is dark enough. I mean, that even comes into the, you know, the feminism kind of thing where you talk about women being hired for jobs, equality, all of those things. I think equality though is a bit different than equity. Yes. <laughs> and that would be the kicker on that one. I mean, you, you know, we're seeing, and, and I, I know that people have talked about where, okay, well, affirmative action really, people then would look at the dark skinned individual and say, well, they're affirmative action. Okay. Why couldn't they have gotten there on their own merits? I mean, how do you know that that's why it was, or maybe they're really good at their job, you know? Yeah. That's frustrating. And so that's, you actually brought it up and you brought it up before I was planning to talk about it, but let's go ahead and dive in is equity versus equality. Right. And how that, especially within CRT is also a driving factor in what is wrong with how CRT is being implemented within our school systems. Yeah. It's because equality is everyone's given the same opportunity. Equity is... 
is being able to say, Hey, we understand this is where you're coming from. And so we're going to give you some extra help or we're going to be able to do this to try and level the overall outcome. It's, it's the best way that I've heard it described is you have equality. And then when you have equity, equity is equality of outcome versus is versus equality of of opportunity that's an interesting way to put that yeah where the equity side of things is they want everybody to have the same outcome well that is a very marxist ideology absolutely and that's where the, they bring back in the marxist ideology to crt right, from that critical theory into critical race theory Right. Interesting. I hadn't really hadn't thought about it like that. But yeah, I would say, I mean, of course, you know, we always want to make sure that anybody in any area has the same opportunity. Um, I would say affirmative action probably intended to do that. It failed miserably, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is really too bad because I think, I think that we know that in our societies and just in education alone, but in the legal institutions, all of that, we know that there are some pretty big differences between your predominantly minority schools and your predominantly white schools. Yeah, we know that. It, it was, it goes back to no child left behind right? under Bush Jr. Yeah. Um, no child left behind was a, a horrific education bill. Horrific. Because again, it was one of those that, okay, we have this problem. We're going to try and find a better solution to overall funding schools. And we're going to, now you have to hit certain metrics and certain levels. And if you're those schools that are hitting those, we're going to give more money to versus those schools that aren't. But then when you actually dive in deeper to it and understand what occurred is your suburban schools all of a sudden paid more predominantly white, mm-hmm. less diverse as far as the overall population, and got better scores. We just hit directly on the systemic racism. And then you have the inner city schools, which are very diverse, mm-hmm. lower paid teachers. You have fighting. You have more conflict within the schools themselves. Absolutely. And now all of a sudden, they're getting less money. So they can't compete with teacher's pay. They can't compete with other opportunities within the school itself. Yeah. And now you're stuck in a situation of you just made the problem worse. 100%. And literally, like I, I, that is dang near the definition of systemic racism because you cannot tell me that people did not see that coming. Do they really think that wasn't going to occur? I think they went into it with the best of intentions. So I would submit that I do think that people are going into critical race theory with the best of intentions as well. But I think that there is a lot more that needs to be addressed before we implement this. And that's part of the reason why we need to have the conversation. And part of my frustration, just as we opened up this conversation with, is the fact that there isn't a guest sitting here with us recording this. I concur wholeheartedly. It's really troublesome. (laughs) The fact that our educators, and this is again from teachers to administrators to the school boards, are not willing to publicly comment on this, are not willing to take a hard stand on what is actually being implemented versus not. That is a massive story. And that's not just happening here in Northern Colorado. That is happening nationwide where teachers do not want to speak to it. Administrators do not want to confirm anything. Uh, School board members do not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So they're going to put in curriculum that they don't want to have a conversation about. And then you see what's happening even further, especially with um, 
with the the parent. I'm trying to remember the state, but the fact he was the first one labeled a domestic terrorist. Yeah, with like going to school boards and saying, "Hey, I don't think this should be taught. I I need to stand up against this. I'm angry about it." And suddenly, parents are being labeled that. Correct. And so I know that his case originally was actually something more horrific. It was the fact that his daughter had been raped by a a male that was wearing a skirt and went into the women's restroom and he got dragged away, got thrown in jail for a couple of nights, all of that stuff. But then it happened on quite a few different school boards oh, yeah. where the same thing was happening when they started talking about critical race theory. Right. And then when you have Merrick Garland that's pulled in front of the Senate, uh, the Senate House or Senate Judicial Senate, oh, I'm stumbling over my words, <laughs> Senate <laughs> Judiciary Committee, and he's being called out for all of this stuff, and he doesn't have a straight answer. He can't right. actually answer why he implemented these procedures. That if you have a parent that is outspoken and getting frustrated with the school board, they can be labeled as domestic terrorists. Well, I want to tell you, if if I was in that situation, I don't know how calm I would be myself. I mean, so the, that's such an extreme. And the problem is, is that this whole subject is there is no in between. There is no area where we can say, okay, this is how we come to a compromise. It's, it's happening and like it or not, here it is, right? So it's interesting because the Heritage Foundation actually said that um, critical race theory is wholly responsible for the 2020 Black Lives Matters protests and, um, you know, LGBTQ clubs and schools and all of that. And then, you know, they, so this is, I have a quote from them. It says um, that CRT is destructive and rejects the fundamental ideas on which our constitutional republic is based. So I think that that is a pretty far extreme statement. But then on the other hand, you have the Democrats that are saying that this is all fear mongering and everybody's blowing this out of proportion. And this is just your new, you know, white fear thing. And we just have to start teaching this. There is no in between, you know, and people are saying that, that, you know, it's like, okay, but why shouldn't we be able to question what our children are being taught? That doesn't no. mean, yeah, that doesn't mean that we're against teaching those things in history because just like we talked about, thing is, we need to know about those things and that is what our, our country was founded on, like it or not. Yeah. Well, and this, so it dives into the six, um, main tenets of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So the social uh, construct of, of race and the uh, normality of racism. So first, their first pillar, I guess it may be, uh, first is race is, social, race is socially constructed, not biologically natural. Second, racism in the United States is normal, not aberrational. It is the ordinary experience of most people of color. That's one that I, I take some issues with, but I don't know what your thoughts are on it. As far as, uh, read it again. Um, <clears throat> so their second pillar is racism in the United States is normal, not aberrational. It is the ordinary experience of most people of color. I would submit that it is a, and I, I, I'm saying this as a white woman in middle America, but I would say that racism is definitely very inherent in our country and all over the world. Um, but I would say that a lot of people have stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. That's not what we're, we're doing, you know, or, or, or we're not inter- interested in being racist, but there it is, you know? So I, I guess I would tend to agree with that in, in some level. 
I don't like the idea that it's everybody is racist and you're intentionally doing it. Yeah. So number three is uh, owing to what CRT scholars call interest convergence or material determinate uh, determinism, uh, legal advances or setbacks for people of color tend to serve the interests of dominant white groups. So the whole premise of that is essentially saying that our the way the laws are written predominantly help white people and not people of color. Well, I would contend that that is true. And, and the reason I say that is because we know that, you know, just in our jail systems are pre- predominantly minority. And they typically have two to three times higher sentences because they don't get good legal representation or somebody throws the book at them in a community where things are happening a lot. Um, we know that um, minorities in predominantly minority-based schools are – they – don't have as much funding. I mean, that No Child Left Behind was a very good example of that. Um, and they typically receive harsher punishments. Um, there is some accusation that says that children in those schools typically are funneled into essentially the legal system a lot faster than white kids. And I would argue that that does tend to be true because if your kid gets in a fight at school in, in middle white America versus if they get into a school, you know, in, in a predominantly minority based area, that kid is going to probably be in the legal system really fast versus here where we're going to find ways to make sure that that child can still be successful. There's not, there's not as much support to prevent those minorities from being put right into the legal system. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go off on a tangent for a couple, just a, a few. So this is a, a bigger problem. When you talk about systemic racism, what, at least for me, with diving in and doing an awful lot of research into everything that's been going on, the parts that people don't ever think about as far as with Factories. One of the things that's just as much on the forefront today in any mainstream news is supply chain. Correct. Dealing with the supply chain. Why is it that many of the factories that were within city centers were within walking distance were closed? And who did that affect majority of? I guess it would depend on what area you're in, but it would be poor, lower class individuals. Not even necessarily poor, but all of a sudden, if you take somebody that they're able to walk to work and they only need to have one vehicle. Right. If the infrastructure is such that they don't have to rely on having two vehicles in a family. You change the entire dynamics of a system. And so if you have manufacturing facilities within city centers that all of a sudden goes away, who is that impacting the most? Typically, it's been minorities. Absolutely. So you look at that aspect, and then you also look at um, the overall prison system. Absolutely. Prison system, I believe, in our country needs to be reformed. 100%. Where if you want to have privatized uh, prisons, okay. But then at that point in time, the standard should be, and what you're being paid on, is how few of your inmates actually come back to jail. How few of your well, inmates? Recidivism rate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the? You pulled the word that I was looking recidivism, for. Recidivism, yeah. Thank you. And at that point in time, those rates on these private jails and private prisons should all be based off of how well they 
actually have their inmates reenter society. Yeah, that rehabilitation part. I mean, that goes, that begs the question on the war on drugs. And that was the third point that I was going to bring yeah. up is because you look at what happened with the war on drugs. So in the 60s, early 70s, the African-American, the black community in our nation had the strongest family units. Absolutely. The strongest family units. And that went away with the war on drugs. It absolutely did. I, I encourage you to look up Jamie Foxx. Uh, he talks about it because his dad was put in jail, I think, for 12 years for having, I think it was an ounce of weed or something. Ooh, weed. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a violent crime. It wasn't anything of that sort, but they pulled his father out of his family unit. Yeah. Because of the war on drugs. Absolutely. Which I would very much contend was racist. It still is. Absolutely. The war on drugs is still 100%. racist. 100%. And yet none of, nobody's, I, I take that back because there are a few House members and I think there's two senators that are working to try and, and get rid of the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. We've spent trillions of dollars on it over the last four or five decades. Yeah, and we lost. And we lost. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a domestic Vietnam on drugs. Correct. Yeah. And I think that that has a huge impact on what we are seeing today with overall race relations. I would concur with that wholeheartedly. So number four, members of minority groups per, um, periodically undergo differential uh, racialization or the attribute or the uh, attribution. Man, oh man, let me start over. Sorry about that. Uh, number four, members of minority groups periodically undergo differential uh, racialization or the attribution to them of varying sets of negative stereotypes, again, depending on the needs or interests of whites. So I think I would describe that as, oh, you're one of the good ones. You know, thinking about that, I, I could see where you're coming from on that. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's, oh, well, you're, you're a black man. You must know where to buy drugs or you probably know how to hotwire a car because you're a black man. Oh yeah. But he's one of the good ones. He's, he's not like that. Like what? I mean, honestly, it is, it is very prevalent in our societies. The really frustrating thing is, is, I don't think that we're exposed to it as much here. We don't live in an inner city. We don't, I mean, gosh, what's the percentage of minorities in Colorado at this point? It's pretty darn low. Like 20%, I think, is the last number I heard. So here's the thing. The thing is, is I would submit that that is also true. What's number five? Number five, according to the theists of intersectionality or anti-essentialism, no individual can be adequately identified by membership in a single group. As an example, an African-American person, for example, may also be identified as a woman, a lesbian, a feminist, a Christian, so on. Yeah, they're all different. Everybody's part of multiple groups. I mean, I, I would. that's true. I mean. Yeah. And then the sixth one, and finally, the voice of color thesis holds that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their group or groups regarding the forms and effects of racism. Uh, this consensus has led to the growth of legal storytelling movement, which argues that self-expressed views of victims of racism and other forms of oppression provide essential um, insight into the nature of the legal system. Okay, so the way I would describe that is essentially if I hurt your feelings, 
I don't get to say that I didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 because I'm white and I, if I do something that is even accidentally racist, it still is racism. I can see that I was going a different way with it. At what least my going? thought process is the ability of stating that if you've had a bad experience, if you've experienced racism, then at that point in time, every black person has experienced the same racism. Uh, I think that's a pretty broad statement, but I would state that there's a lot of racism that occurs that we don't even realize is racism. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty broad statement, but I see where you're, what you're saying on that. Yeah. So and I think it be, can be taken both ways. Oh uh, yeah. I would uh, say so. And again, they dive into the legal storytelling, which I know we've had issues with that. I mean, shoot, <laughs> we have the case that's going on right now with uh Rittenhouse. Yeah. And you see everything that's going on. And basically the prosecution has done a wonderful job of saying, yeah, he was just protecting himself. <laughs> Right. It's, it's pretty interesting how that one is playing out because it's like they had the guy on the stand that said, you know, was talking and, and was in a one totally different place and then suddenly comes to, okay, well, I was actually uh, kind of threatening him. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't like that case because it's messy. Um, and I, I just think that. But it's a, a perfect example of legal storytelling in the fact that how that even, that case even came to be yeah. was because of Twitter, was because of yeah. media. Absolutely. And the information that all of a sudden was shared and even the FBI videos that had never aired when they're showed in the, in the right. courtroom, they're like, okay, this changes the entire dynamic of what we thought we knew. Right. And changes the entire reason on why this case is being tried in the first place. Well, really interesting narrative that's kind of going around about this Rittenhouse uh, trial is that if, the, if he had been a young black man, how would that outcome have had been totally different? I mean, because I think we all know how that outcome would have been totally different. Throwing it out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So So diving into critical race theory. Yeah. As it's being taught in schools, it's one of those that is, again, it's a catch-22. Where do I believe that we need to change the way history is taught? Not change the history, but actually... How it's taught. Change the whitewashed history that a lot of us grew up on. Yeah. I 100% agree with it. That yes, we absolutely need to change what's being taught within our history classes to be more inclusive. To actually... This this nation has done some atrocious things. Yeah. But also this nation has done some very, very good things. Absolutely. And both need to be taught. I concur. That's how we grow as a populace. That's how we grow and change our behavior right. for the betterment of everybody. You know what I think the problem is? I think the problem is, is number one, we really don't know what's going to be taught. Nobody's willing to talk about it. Nobody wants to say, okay, guys, it's actually pretty, it's good. We're, we're going to teach our kids what the history of this country really looked like, what we really were founded on, how the inner workings happened. This is what occurred versus demoralizing or dehumanizing the white kids. I know that's the fear. And I would say, okay, it probably does have the potential to go there. I think if we knew what was going to be taught, then people would be less afraid of it. Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. And one of the parts about critical race theory that we really haven't brought up is, and it's already been implemented in New York and California, as well as I believe in Washington, is is 
teaching the 1619 project as fact. Yeah, so I um, did. I looked up that a little bit, and I don't have a good understanding of what the 1619 project is. The it's essentially been called out as a work of fiction, okay. um, and this is by history professors. I think a total of fifteen hundred of them that wrote the letter at, that the Wall Street um, Wall, the Wall Street, Street Journal, Journal. <laughs> printed yeah. that said this is not based in fact. This is a work of fiction. But the whole premise of the sixteen nineteen project was to state that the founding of our nation was not in seventeen seventy six. The founding of our nation was in sixteen nineteen, and the whole founding of our nation is on on the backs of slavery. And so, when you dive into an awful lot of this. And what the 1619 project was stating, it's, it's not based in fact. Yeah, there, it was like 42 pages of those 1500 history professors that said this is not at all true. And it, you know, I thought it was interesting that it was the Wall Street Journal that came out no. with it. And so that's one of the aspects of critical race theory that people are frustrated that has, has been put into some curriculum is the 1619 project is not fact and yet it's being taught as such. If we could have a structured set of curriculum that was very clear in bringing these things into the history, then I think people would be more comfortable with it. I think with the backlash of everybody that I've talked to and looking at what is happening within our education system, I have a strong feeling that the the education system, at least from the federally, the Mm -hmm. Department of Ed is going to be disassembled and it's going to go back to the states. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Which, at that point in time, I can agree and I can disagree with it. Because, yes, state rights, but also having a certain fundamental level of education that everybody has to abide by. But, again, this is where it dives in deeper to what is happening with our teachers' unions. Right. I would would agree with that. Well, the other thing that I, I think just immediately dawned on me, Boy, there are some states that are not interested in changing <laughs> their curriculum. And I, I, would, yeah. I would point to, you know, we had some schools that, like 10 years ago, that did not want to teach, like, you know, evolution and oh, yeah. dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, seriously, and there are still some states that won't put it in their curriculum. Yes. I mean, and, and, and on the complete other side of that coin... You know, the, the biblical text in education, it was, we're not teaching that in this school. That's not what we're doing. Uh, but we're also not teaching evolution. You know what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? It's just, I think that would be very dangerous. However, uh, federally, I think we can agree that the federal government hasn't always done a good job of rolling out things like no child left behind. (laughs) So that is also very concerning. I'm just throwing it out there. And and I, I, you know, it's really interesting. I I wasn't sure if you and I were going to agree on this. And that's, we kind of, I don't know, probably two or three months ago, you said we got to do CRT. And I was like, I don't want to do CRT. I don't know enough about it. It's, it's, or, or we're going to go head to head on this and I'm not sure that I can back it up with facts. But the thing about it is, is I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea and I, I'm not opposed to it, but it needs to be done with some very serious caution. And it needs to be open to public discussion where, shoot, let's just take what happened with the start of the school year as far as the mask mandate. You know, we had May on and we talked with her about everything. The start of the school system and what are the school session, 
what pissed everybody off, all of the parents, is all of a sudden their kids go back to school on Monday or Tuesday. Right. And then all of a sudden get a phone call or an email on Wednesday saying, hey, we're going to full mask mandates starting next Monday. We're going, we didn't have the opportunity to even plan. Right. Where there was an awful lot of students that said, you know what? Okay. They aren't, they aren't requiring masks. I'll send my kid back to school. Um, or vice versa. Correct. Correct. And they made a decision. They, whether to pull their child out of school, whether to, to enroll them in a, a charter school or a private school, mm-hmm. they or made online. those decisions yeah. based off of the information that we were given from the school board. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, they change everything. That's what's happening with CRT is all of a sudden, I think where so many people are so frustrated with this topic is because they aren't willing to have the conversation. And then they're just saying, eh, it'll be all right. Well, that's fully evidenced by the fact that nobody wants to come on and talk to us. Correct. I mean, that's really, correct. that that really gets right down to the crux of the issue. I mean, Alex, I, I strongly suspect that in the next couple of days, they're going to be shutting schools down. Poudre School District sent out a um, notification that they were going to shut the school down through Thanksgiving break early because their teachers just needed some respite because they're exhausted. And I can see how they'd be exhausted. But I suspect there's more to it than that. And the thing about it is, is we have our, if you put it in the state's hands, now it goes down to the district, right? Because the state's going to be like, I don't know that we want to touch that with a 10-foot pole right now. Let's see how this plays out. Just like you said, eh. Let's see, see how it works, right? But that that's exactly what's occurring, I think, on so many different levels. And and with critical race theory, if they're not open about it and we don't have some sort, sort of set of guidelines, and who's going to come up with those guidelines? Let's be real here. <laughs> then we have a yeah. very big problem. So I, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty clear that neither one of us are anti-CRT or pro-CRT, but more, hey, give us more information. And pull the politics out of it. And I understand that, right that with CRT, that's a very difficult thing because it is very political. But pull the politics out of it and let us actually have a discussion. Because I think there's an awful lot of parents that think very similar to you and I that absolutely we need to be teaching this right. stuff in, in our history <clears throat> classes. But then also the other stuff that's being taught and the other things that CRT holds on to – Okay, is how should that be taught, and should it be taught, and at what grade level as well should right. it be taught at? I mean, I think that it's definitely at a higher level as far as you know, high school, maybe maybe later junior high, um, to start kind of introducing the idea that maybe, and and this is I think the fear that a lot of people have is introducing the idea that maybe America wasn't founded in a perfect manner. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Because the other aspect that I think that uh, some people are afraid of is if you start teaching our kids how to think critically, how are they going to change the world? Right. What's going to change <laughs> that maybe you're not comfortable with? And I think that's that's what I when I was saying, like with the states being in charge of that. Man, if you get into the deep south, it is a whole different world. And I will 100% confirm for you that there is absolutely segregation happening in schools. 100%. And that, you can see that from the private school structure in the South. I mean, my kids, my kids went to a private school or my son did. My, my daughter was not old enough, um, but my son went to a private school in the South and it was, I mean, they, look, if, if you had to admit a black student to that school, um, you had to go against the board. 
And the board, somebody at that school had to speak on your behalf and say why your child could attend that school and that they weren't going to be a problem. Okay. It was just two or three years ago that the first black student was admitted and that black student's parents are doctors. So it is very, very real. Now, here's what I can tell you in, in very stark contrast. The public school that was a mile and a half down the road was predominantly poor white kids whose parents couldn't afford to send them to the private school or that somebody said, no, they're a problem. We can't let them in. Okay. And then I'm telling you, my kid was a kindergartner. My son was a kindergartner at the time. And um, there was a first grader that brought a gun to school in a city of 1,400 people at the hmm. public school. So I think it can be very, very scary, and you see some very clear disparities in these schools. Um, and the no child left behind thing is probably the worst thing that could have happened to our public schools. It, maybe not the worst thing, but pretty darn close. And and you get to talking about that kind of stuff, and there is definitely systemic racism and segregation happening. And we've got to talk about it, but we have to talk about it in a way that doesn't cause even further divide. Yes. And that's, that's on us. It is. That is, that's on the adults. That's on the parents. And it's being willing to have the difficult conversations and the uncomfortable ones Yeah, and being willing to sit at the table and say, Hey, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah. It may get uncomfortable, but let's have this conversation. And I think that's where everybody is missing right now with dealing with CRT. Well, this is a beautiful time to start pushing an agenda from either side because people are so wrapped up in so much else. I mean, they're worried about paying their mortgages. They're worried about just making sure their family is safe, all of that stuff. And so why don't we start pushing something? And I would, I would say the claim that critical race theory was 100% responsible for the 2020 black life movement riots and things like that is so tone deaf it is so tone deaf i'd agree with that and it's again that's a another topic for another show yeah um but i hope that through this conversation we at least enlighten you gave you a little bit of information as far as what crt is um how it's trying to be implemented and if you are an educator in northern colorado and you are willing to come on and speak please reach out to us Heck, even a former educator, <laughs> if you if you've retired and you have an opinion on it, please call. Send us a message. Seriously, call us. Send us whatever you need to. Yeah, the native dot the transplant at gmail dot com again. The native dot the transplant at gmail dot com. Because I can guarantee you that if we have an educator that is willing, whether you're a teacher, former teacher, administrator, or former school board member, and you're willing to come on and have the conversation yeah. with us, we will devote a, a long episode to be able to get more information out on what CRT is and what we can anticipate in the future. Yeah, I would concur with that. I mean, I, you know, I know it's important to represent um, our history in a factual manner, and I think that's the intention, but it will be interesting to see how this plays out. No. All right. Well, no beer of the week this week, just due to the fact that we had to change things up a little bit because uh, Jen was out of town, but we will be back to normal on Thursday. But thank you for tuning into this episode on CRT. And as always, I'm your native Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.